Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Jocelyn. Now, we set some rules out. I think we talked, you know, after your your return episode that we couldn't talk about TV. This wasn't a TV podcast. How do you feel about books? How do you feel Wait, about Wait, you just said this was a TV podcast. You mean this isn't a isn't TV, a TV podcast? TV. <laughs> Dang, sorry, folks. I tried... I tried, uh, but she she saw right through me there. We are not going to talk about the new season of Paw Patrol or uh, Handmaid's what Tale. What Fear the Walking Dead? Oh, man. I just, I want to talk to you about that so bad, but that, I don't want to derail the whole video game. I know you have a podcast. Let's talk, let's what talk is after. that podcast, Ryan? Why oh, don't you plug it right here at the top? <laughs> it's called Zombies Ate My Podcast with my co-host Lou, where we talk about zombies and Fear the Walking Dead would certainly fit within that category. And we are scheduled to talk about it, not this week, but in two weeks. So I will hit you up. We'll get you on the show. I would actually honestly love that because I am loving Fear the Walking Dead right now. Anyways, that's yeah. for apparently for Zombies Save My Podcast in a couple of weeks as we like live plan our lives on the show. This is this is some really great uh, video game radio. Uh, books, you said books. <laughs> yes, I, I do promise, though, like my talk of Mythic Quest, this is video game related. Uh, I had pre-ordered uh, the Ask Iwata book, uh, which is sort of a you may remember uh iwata being the president of nintendo he had passed away in 2015 really tragic oh man was it that long ago now yeah it feels weird yeah yeah it does not feel like that was a 2015 thing like i would have said 2018 (laughs) yeah at the the longest oh man (laughs) it was pre-switch which was like also surprising to me because i just I, I feel like as as he passed away, they were just starting to kind of tease, you know, I think they called it a Nintendo NX for, you know, next experience or new experience. And really, like, they delivered on, on I think, that, the, the Switch. and, and On that idea, and, yeah. Yeah, so the book is, um, you may remember the Ask Iwata series, which, or I guess it's called the Iwata Ask series of interviews where he would sort of talk to developers about upcoming projects um, and as the the president of Nintendo, he he really took that interviewing style seriously. Um, I'm not fully through the whole book, but it's really interesting in that it kind of it's told from his perspective. It's a collection of um, key interviews, and um, also he did a bunch of stories with this uh, website, this blog in Japan. So it's all been translated, and it's been really well translated. Um, they did a great job bringing it over from its original language of Japanese and um, about halfway through. And, you know, you'd think a book about a president of a video game company might seem a little dry. You know, you th- when you think of presidents, you think of, you know, nameless uh, person running Sony. You think of uh, Phil Spencer from Microsoft. Actually, he'd probably write an interesting book. Uh, he's, he's a really interesting guy, <laughs> that guy. He, I, I would put him kind of in the same vein as as Iwata and that he he would probably have a lot to say uh, and would be very interesting about it. But, you know, you think of Bobby Kotick, you know, you think of whoever's running Blizzard now, um, which, which I guess would be Bobby <laughs> Jay Kotick. Allen Brack. Exactly. Not the most interesting guy. Um, that's not what he sounds like. I Although... <laughs> I was like, what is, even is that voice supposed kinda, to be? <laughs> when you think about it, if you just close your eyes... It doesn't sound at all like J.L. Brack, but it's been so long. 
Um, but anyways, the Ask Iwata book is, uh, it also looks at sort of his management skills, but also like all of his development experience. And, you know, he, he was a programmer for a very long time. And it's been really interesting to sort of read through and get all these anecdotes about how he would approach problem solving and how he would approach management and that he would interview all of the, all of his staff at, um, at the time was Hal Laboratory, where he was sort of head of development. He would interview all of his staff uh, there twice a year to sort of just understand what's going on in the company. And again, like, I mean, you and I have worked for various organizations. When have you ever been interviewed by, I guess, the closest thing to the president, like the highest person in your workplace? Like, has that ever happened? Like, probably never. <laughs> okay. And I think this is a really interesting sort of look uh, at his sort of management style. And and again, I hope it doesn't sound boring because it really isn't. Like, I think the, the guy just had a really interesting way of looking at everything. And even when he's talking about sort of these approaches to these interviews and solving, you know, programming issues and development issues, it's kind of done with this light tone that you really feel it. It, it, it really comes off as this is Iwata's autobiography, but really it's not. It's, it's him sort of giving these interviews and, and talking about his management style, and it's been adapted into this book. But it is really cool. You don't often get this look into a company, especially like Nintendo, which has been always very private when it comes to its management. I was going to say, yeah, they, they kind of had this like closed door sort of like secretive. I feel like we just hear about and and maybe this is just because they're, you know, not a, a based in the U.S. kind of a, of a company. I don't know. But it's like I feel like we just hear like things leak out of other companies and like a lot of people leave other companies and then, you know, like you find out stuff years later or whatever. But like for some reason, there's something about Nintendo that it seems like people don't seem to leave Nintendo and nobody leaks anything from Nintendo. <laughs> like, I mean, every once in a while we might get like, I don't like, even then it's not really leaks. It's like patents that we see them file for and stuff. And, but I, I feel like we're just, we don't get near as many like leaked out information. Like they're very secretive and closed doors compared to like every other, whether it's a, a hardware or software company in the gaming industry. Like I just feel like we never have like a this leaked from Nintendo. Whereas like even like Blizzard these days, it's like, well, we know everything Blizzard's <laughs> doing for the next two years because no one can keep their mouth shut. Like <laughs> everyone's mad at management. So it's just bleh, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just, it's, it's a really good, you get that from the book in that he really enjoyed talking to his staff, talking to every person on the team. And, and of course, when he moved over from president of HAL to, to president of um, Nintendo, obviously there were much more staff involved and he was unable to kind of continue that. But he still like goes into detail of how he tried to adapt that approach over to such a large scale team. And uh, I haven't gotten to it yet, but there are like interviews in there from um, Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario, obviously, uh, talking about his relationship with Iwata and, and how Iwata was younger than, you know, Miyamoto, but managed to sort of leapfrog him and become president of Nintendo, which wasn't normally the style, uh, of those companies. And, and also the guy who did Earthbound, which was a mentor, uh, to Iwata. So there's a lot of these, like, really interesting details, uh, in this book that if you're a fan of Nintendo, 
you're you're a fan of Iwata's time at Nintendo, which kind of encapsulated, you know, the Wii, the DS, the and then yeah, to a lesser extent the Wii U, but also the 3DS. Like pretty interesting years, like some really high mm-hmm. highs and and kind of some well, some low Wii U lows, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but the 3DS was a bit of a roller coaster as well. No, but still, like he was still doing doing some stuff that was really thinking outside the box, right? Like 3D handhelds that worked. <laughs> well, there's this anecdote about the DS and how they talk about, you know, uh, if we're not shocking people, then we're not doing our job. So when they announced the DS and it was two screens and one was touchscreen, people like, this is it. Nintendo's done. Like, how do you, what is this? Like, this doesn't makes sense and then the ds ended up being one of the biggest handheld systems Mm -hmm. available and it just goes to show that you know there are some stinkers and nintendo puts them out there and they support them as best they can they tried and they move forward um and then you you learn from those mistakes and you apply them to your next system like going from the, the wii u to the switch is a perfect example of learning from you know an experience and i think if we didn't have the wii u we wouldn't necessarily have the switch right now. Well, yeah, because they definitely they're they're similar in concept for sure. It's just that the switch is a better execution of that concept. Like the the Wii U felt very gimmicky, whereas the Switch feels very um, forward thinking and functional. Exactly. Yeah, and there's just a lot of these little points in there, and I know there are a lot of you know stories of I want his time. That you may have, you know, may be familiar with, you know, especially shortly after he passed away, there was a lot of stories shared. Um, one of my favorites is is sort of how I think he was still he was president at Hal. He was like a high, he was in, at a high position, and they were making Pokemon Gold and Silver on the Game Boy Color, and they wanted to kind of find a way to put uh, the the whole world from blue and red into gold and silver, but they were having some compression issues. And I guess he came in and he completely changed, he completely wrote the compression so that they could fit both worlds on one cartridge. And it's crazy stuff like that where like he's coming as president to come, you know, to these development uh, houses. Get his hands dirty. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think there's an anecdote about Smash and they were trying to to launch it and he was down there trying to fix bugs with, with the team. Like there's a lot of these little stories and... I think that um, one takeaway from the book is like, man, if he, it's really sad. And you you get that right at the beginning of the book where they talk about his passing and how that affected the staff at this blog. You know, they kind of worked very closely with them for many years. And uh, there's a lot, you feel that too. You feel that sort of loss that these, these folks experience, a lot of people experienced when, when he passed away. And, and I think that the book is really interesting from a perspective, not only if you're looking for more Nintendo details, but also more details of sort of this shift from the previous president over to Iwata and then moving forward to to the Switch and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, if you're a fan of video games, you're looking to turn the screen off, unless you read it on a Kindle, I suppose. Uh, definitely. Check. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I've been mindful of that, too. You know, like books coming out, it's like, oh, I should pick that up. And I'm like, you know what? I need to pick this up in a physical format. So I'm not just keeping screens on constantly, but I'm going to take a break yeah. from my laptop <laughs> to read this book on my laptop. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes are just screaming. No, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I highly recommend it. And it's, you know, it's easy to read. It's, it's digestible. It's not super long. I, although I didn't finish it 
in the, in the time that we I'm, I'm i'm working my way through it i'm not rushing through it it's been really interesting stuff so uh yeah definitely check this one out absolutely and i'm actually really interested too in the other thing that you checked out the resident evil village demo because okay <laughs> I might play it, Ryan. The I demo might play it. or the game? No, not the demo, the game. I'm like, I'm on the fence because, okay, I, a lot of the like streams and stuff that I saw like early on were um of, of Resident Evil 7 were like VR. And I'm like, no, mm. <laughs> like too much. No. Um, But I was watching a couple of streamers playing Resident Evil 7 because like kind of like getting ready for village to come out and whatever and it doesn't look that bad like it's gruesome and there's some jumpy outy parts but it didn't look terrible like i think maybe i could do it maybe (laughs) (laughs) like it didn't seem as bad to me as like layers of fear no i i think you're right i i think uh resident evil village from what i experienced in the demo um there you 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 are in control of the situation and i think this isn't like amnesia or layers of fear where they have stripped power from the character in order to amplify the the scary moments um you you are capable in village as well as in seven uh if you're able to aim unlike me it was terrible (laughs) yeah it did seem like there was like not enough ammo for (laughs) the health of the bad guys yeah, and and there are these moments, uh, especially in the demo, uh, the castle uh, area where like six or seven zombies are spawning in this area, and you you have like forty bullets, but it's not. You start shooting, and you sh- you're shooting these folks in the head, and they're not going down. And it's like, oh, well, clearly I'm just meant to <laughs> um, run. The- <laughs> that zombie rules, though. Like <laughs> bullet I, head done. <laughs> I know, and that's that's the unfortunate part, and uh, I I think that's where I struggle in wanting to pick up and play this game is that I'm just terrible at the combat. There's something Mm. about the floatiness of it. And I think the first person view doesn't help where I've just never been great at aiming. (laughs) I don't think either one of us is particularly good. And I'm sure you guys were like uh, coming up on 500 episodes in the next year. Like you guys know we don't normally talk too, too much about first-person shooters. Like, neither Ryan nor I are good at them. No. <laughs> like, we don't enjoy them. So that they're very, very rarely featured on Gamers In. And, you know, that that's something I didn't actually really kind of wrap my head around or consider is I was so focused on, like, can I deal with the horror part of Resident Evil And the theme of this just, like, sucked me in so much. Like, it gave me, like, witchy kind of, like, Little Hope vibes. And I'm like, you know what? I really liked that story. I kind of want to just play Village because it's giving me that same sort of vibe. And I think I can handle the horror. I never really thought about the fact that I'd have to aim and shoot at something. (laughs) Like, very basic game mechanics. Like, maybe I should just watch it because otherwise I'm just going to get so frustrated. (laughs) I... Well, here's the thing. Like, if you play the demo, there's e- there are these moments in the demo where um, it's really just about sort of strategically running away and managing your resources. So, in the castle portion, you are being chased by one of the one of the vampire sisters, and really, you're just supposed to kind of you know shoot bullets at her 
in the general vicinity uh, of where she is until she sort of like dissipates into they don't go into bats they go into like a swarm of like bugs it's really gross um (laughs) but when they when she does that you know like okay she's gonna go away for a bit and i have an opportunity to move forward without her you know grabbing me and taking a bite and my health goes down a little bit it was it was not that bad um but then i went into this underground area and there was these there were these zombies showing up and there was a lot of them and I think you just have to remember it's okay to run away. And I think that was the point where I was like trying to shoot them and I was moving back further into the level realizing, Oh wait, I don't think I'm supposed to try to take these folks down. I'm supposed to like run around them a little bit and just kind of escape the area because I think that's the game telegraphs it really well. in that if there are a bunch of enemies in front of you, but there's clearly ways to sort of maneuver around. And it's also tough with the demo sign because you're not getting the sort of, flavor text around why you're in this situation you're just sort of dropped in the mansion and like i don't know progress move forward um (laughs) they don't really tell you why one foot in front of the other ryan just do it (laughs) yeah get through the demo what are you doing um look at the pretty walls uh and, and that being said the game looks fantastic and i'm tempted to 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 pick this one up uh it it does look really really nice like they've they've really uh nailed that photorealism look in the game for for better or worse when you're you know being chased by giant vampire people um and werewolves for that matter but uh the story you're right it just it has that mystery edge to it and you don't really know what's going on but you get the sense that this place is is very wrong and and there are wrong things happening around you um but yeah, like there's just there's just something about it. It's this like curiosity of like what what is happening in this game and is it okay if I'm bad at shooting? And I think I think it's fine because the puzzles are really cool too. That's mm. that's something I got a sense of in the demo where you're running around, you're just picking up all these things that are like here's a glass eye and here's a goblet of, of for wine and you're putting all these things in your inventory. It's like clearly these are going to come back as puzzle pieces for for puzzles down the road (laughs) i would really love if there was like just nothing you ever use the glass eye for and just at the end of the game the game just like gave you an achievement or something was like ew why did you even pick this up this is useless (laughs) look (laughs) resident evil everything is a key you know uh there was this plaque i picked up sure enough it was part of a key and uh there's there's something about you know, these all the for some reason, all the Resident Evil games are featured in locations where people are designing houses and buildings and castles with these extravagant puzzles to open doors. And it's like, <laughs> nah, why not just use a doorknob? God, <laughs> no, it's got to be this ornate statuesque uh, door that has two clear openings for uh, two different plaques uh, that when you enter, you can't just put them in. No, you have to put them in and then turn them just such so they line up to make the face make a specific uh, specific look and look in a specific direction. <laughs> and then you have to put the glass eye in it. Boom, the door opens. Takes forever to go get the mail, but really satisfying. <laughs> so... 
picturing like some old man being like, oh God, where did I leave that glass eye? Oh man. Okay, and a stupid thing. Who designed this? <laughs> like just to go and check his mailbox. Yeah. I mean, if yeah, like I think I think there's a lot to love about the Resident Evil franchise and uh Resident Evil 7 is I think available on Game Pass. It's available if you have the PlayStation 5, you have the PS Plus collection, it's on there. So there's a lot of opportunities to go check out that style of gameplay and maybe try to brush up on the way the shooting works. And, I, and I've been tempted to jump back in Resident Evil 7 on the PS5 just to kind of see like, okay, let's let's gut check this. Do I? Because uh, the demo did what it was supposed to do. It kind of made me want to pick up Village. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but then I remember kind of struggling with 7. I thought maybe I need to go back to 7 give it another try and then really see if if this is for me but as you said yeah yeah seven like just watching the couple streamers play i mean it did look difficult and like cuz i i watched one streamer and she was playing um a boss fight where there's like these um, pieces of meat like hanging from the ceiling, like or uh, they were really big, so they're probably like cows. <laughs> but anyways, hanging from the ceiling, and the, the dude coming after her had like double chainsaws, <laughs> <laughs> and like I mean, she must have chainsawed him through the face like four times before she finally beat the boss fight, and she was just like, "How can you take a chainsaw to the face four times and not die?" Like, I split you in half. How are you getting back up again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, like, it looked like you had to, like, hit the, the meat, like, into him to kind of, like, stun him a little bit so you could get a hit on him in, in this massive chainsaw fight. And uh. I was just like, man, it just, it did look really difficult. Like, the controls with the with the controller as opposed to mouse and keyboard, but, like, the controls were just a little bit, like you said, like, kind of floaty. And uh, and the you had to get the angles just right, otherwise the the meat would miss him, and then he wouldn't get stunned, and then you were pretty much just dead. Like it did seem very punishing, but yeah. Also, I mean, it obviously has a like a sick dark sense of humor with like a double chainsaw like put together like scissors. Like I don't even know how that works, but yeah. <laughs> I guess it was horrific. Like, who thinks of that? <laughs> I know chainsaw scissors. <laughs> oh man, you're 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 giving me flashbacks. I remember doing that boss battle. I got that far, and I think maybe that's why I stopped because I I did eventually finish it, and I was like, okay, good. I'm gonna stop there because it was really frustrating, and I think that's where uh, that game struggled for me was the boss fights because the combat. I just was not very good at it. And again, it's not the game's fault. I know the game's beloved, but it I just it never clicked for me, but for some reason RE2 remake, RE3 remake, I was fine with those. No struggles whatsoever. Had a great time with them. And, and they sort of have the same resource management issues that are not issues, but gameplay that are present in in Village and, and 7. So, we'll see uh we'll see what I end up doing uh I really think going back to seven might be the might be the best approach just to kind of gut check it. Um, but the demo is really cool. Well, you have between now and Friday, right? Because Resident Evil Village comes out on Friday. Yeah, 
That is true. Isn't it? Man, time. <laughs> so if you're going to check your gut, you better do it fast. <laughs> well, I will get on it for sure. And uh, either we all know be... he's just going to buy it and play it, you guys. Like, I don't even know why we're having this conversation. <laughs> I mean, we led, the, we led the show with the fact that I do a zombie show. And I'll be honest, I chickened out on Zam when it came to seven. I kind of pretended the game never came out. And I always wondered... <laughs> Why never? Why did we talk about Seven? Because they made me. They made me not made me. I I played it for Extra Life to try to get some donations uh, through Zamp, and um, and then Lou reminded me like, nah, like Bob and I both played it. We talked about it like for a couple weeks. And I'm like, huh, I don't remember that. You know, maybe I was away that week because honestly, I just I stayed away from Seven, and I, I think it was that first person view. It just wasn't. It wasn't my cup of tea. Even though I I do love some some first person um, you know perspective games, I think it's just when you apply first person perspective to the horror genre, you mm-hmm. introduce uh, a, a much more scary because things are right up in your face, and the designers are going to take yeah. advantage of that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll go back to seven, but you're probably right. I'll be like, you know what? I I need a next gen experience, and uh, maybe I'll wait for reviews and we'll see. But I do recommend people check out the demo. It it really does give a really proper showcase of what that game is going to offer. And um, it's on all the platforms, including, you know, Series X, Xbox One, PC, and the PlayStation. So uh, it's worth checking out if you're at all curious. And then you also get to experience that that door puzzle with the plaques. (laughs) With the plaques, yeah. (laughs) And the glass eye for the doorknob. (laughs) Yeah. And there is an old lady that, like, you know... uh, (laughs) comes after you and and it's It's like hey where's my glass eye (laughs) yeah exactly you know she and she's the uh she's the village sort of you know wise woman that's like prepare there's things that are gonna happen there are bad things afoot (laughs) and sure enough you go into the next area and just like just bad things happen zombies everywhere (laughs) and she's nowhere to be found so i don't know It was well, her. It's clearly all her fault. Yeah. Yeah. She summoned <laughs> the werewolf doing. zombies for some reason. Now I don't need to play the game. I just solved it for you, you guys. It was the old lady. It was all her fault. <laughs> old lady that whole time. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I think she maybe even gave you the first plaque for the door. <laughs> so maybe, it's all her. Okay. So we have one last game to talk about. <laughs> Before we move on to news, that was a great segue. I know you're welcome. That's fine. Uh, so uh, I don't. Are we going to call this like our final thoughts on Xenoblade Chronicles Two for now, or um, like how how close do you think you are? Because I don't know how many chapters there are in the game, but um, how close do you think you are to like finishing the main story? Because I feel like <laughs> we're probably going to have like a story wrap up. Like, what are our overall thoughts? But um, I when don't know how many chapters there are. So yeah, exactly. It could be two years from now for all I know. <laughs> I think I think for me, I'm uh, I'm committed to continuing to play the game, even if I have to set a reminder for myself, like, oh wait, I can't go a week without playing, so I don't forget what I'm doing. You know. Yeah, I feel like we need to have like Sunday Xenoblade Day or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sunday Fun Day Xenoblade. Someone else can come up with the title, but I think like. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> with the uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I, I have not stopped playing since, uh, that's why we talked about a book. That's why we talked about a demo. Uh, I have not stopped playing this game. It's really all I've been, I think I took a break to play Fire Emblem for a little bit. And I, it's all just because I don't want to stop 
to, to forget. Like, not only do I not want to stop so I don't forget how to play, because that is a real problem with the game. <laughs> it is a real problem. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot going on. And I feel like I've, I've started to understand how the combat truly works and how it rewards you for setting up certain combos. And then also like all the intricate systems of, you know, blade management and upgrading those blades with weapons and, you know, cores and affinity and uh, all these random buzzwords that you'd see in a presentation for some mid-marketing company. Um, <laughs> uh, but I was going to say, you have so much of it, like a better handle on what's going on than I do. I'm just like plugging through the quests as best as I can and like... La 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 la. Oh, what do you know? There's a mechanic that I haven't been doing for the last 10 hours. Oh, well. <laughs> and I think that's fine. Like, I don't, the game, the game doesn't punish you uh, unless you're, you've been out leveled by the enemies. And I think that's when it really starts, you start to struggle and hit that wall. But I found like, as long as you're, you know, heading over to an inn to, to cash in bonus XP uh, and getting those levels, I've been ahead of, uh, most of the mainline story, you know, enemies by at least a couple levels. So I've been able to go in with whatever characters I want. I don't necessarily have to have a uh, a tank. I can just have a healer and a couple DPS and, and I'm fine. And I think that what I would say to you, I know you're still early on in the game. I'm about chapter six. I think there are 10 chapters overall. But where this oh, okay, so you're getting there. It, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not far. And I think where this game really shines is mainlining the main quest. And I don't know if I'm wrong with what I'm about to say. And I certainly offer, you know, please send in your corrections. But the side quests in this game are are not worth doing. They're not great. Uh, there is a quality difference between the mainline story quests and the side quests. And I, I think the biggest difference is that the mainline quests have like animations and cutscenes and voice acting and what you're doing is interesting. Later on in the game, you're mostly running from boss to boss and unique fight to unique fight and giant anime cutscene. I was going to say, yeah, and TV show episode to TV yeah. show episode because those cinematics are long. <laughs> but they're really good too. But they're and, good. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> and I think that's where the side quests really struggle because, and I find I end up just mashing the A button. I'm not even reading the text because it's just, it's just people, like, it's just, it's just nonsense back and forth. Like, well, I need to go do this. And like, oh, well, I can help you with that. It's like, that's really great. And and it's just back and forth. You know, they're you know, tossing jargon across. It's not meaningful dialogue. Yeah, exactly. And I can still, if I really want to do the quest, I can still do it without having to know all of the details they've thrown at me. And there are no cutscenes. There are no, there's no VO. It's all just written text. And it's mostly go talk to this person or go kill these things or go find this thing. I feel like that's, I mean, th there's obviously been a couple of games that we have highlighted over the last few years that have made the extra effort to go. I mean, like ESO, I think is, is a really good one where it's like literally every character you interact with or take a quest from is like fully voiced. And I think Star Wars did it too. And, you know, like there's, a, there are some games that are, like they have gone above and beyond in terms of like voiceover at least. But I think just side quests in general in gaming, like um, don't normally have any kind of cinematics at attached to them. And most of the time, no voiceover. I think it's 
it's totally uh, valid to say like the dialogue isn't great and they're not, you know, pulling me in because I think that is usually at least for me, the thing that makes a good side quest or a bad side quest, like, do I feel like I'm just going out and killing 10 things and coming back for a little bit of XP? Or do I actually feel like I'm invested in this side character who has nothing to do with my main story? And some of those side quests in other games are written well. It sounds like these ones aren't written very well, which is maybe why you're feeling the the huge contrast. Like, you're really invested in the main storyline it also has voiceover and cinematics. So then you go to the side quest and you're like, these characters are bland and there's no reason for me to be doing this stuff and I don't really care who you are. And then also there's no voiceover and cinematics. Like I think saying that the side quests don't have voiceover and cinematics is basically like a bar that almost no games actually clear <laughs> because, you know, like a, there's only so much budget and the bigger, like, I mean, Xenoblade Chronicles, you're talking about, um, or Xenoblade 2, it's supposed to be like, somewhere between 150 and 200 hours worth of content, like they're never going to voice all of that. <laughs> but I think that there's definitely something to be said for writing compelling stories, even if it's your, not your main story, because the more compelling your side quests, the more interesting your side characters, the like more fleshed out and fuller your world feels. Like I talk about Horizon Zero Dawn all the time. It's one of my favorite games. I'm 99% sure that most of those side quests are not voiceovered. Like, but the characters are interesting and they, you know, like each side quest taught me a different thing about living in that world. And I cared about, you know, like going and, you know, killing that robot dinosaur that was destroying the village and making it so that they couldn't do X, Y, Z, you know, like I cared about those things as opposed to just like, go save my chickens. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think there are there are some, some cutscenes where it's just like, I, I'm trying to grow a garden, and you literally have to talk to this person, you go fetch the, the stuff to, to, to plant, and then oh, go go rest, come back, oh, it's not working, um, let's go find the source of this, oh, there's a poison lake here, let's go turn off, you just, and then you go into the enemy base, and it's like, oh, here's this valve, I'll just turn the poison off, great, okay, let's go back to the, the farm, hey, try again, we turn the poison off, perfect, you know, <laughs> and it's just... Whereas, it's, like, yeah. it doesn't tell you about, like, who this farmer is, or who these enemies are, why they might want to poison a lake, and yeah. I think, like, when you look at when this game came out in uh, 27, tail end of 2017. So development from, you know, 2014 through 2017, let's say there's, there's, uh, there's been this change, you know, uh, I think post Witcher three, which I know came out in 2015 before this game came out, but like it took a long time. It took years for, for people, uh, for developers to sort of take that game and run with it. You know, that's where you have the new Assassin Creed's, uh, sort of template, and you've seen people iterate on that and really take side side content to the next level and and made it fun and entertaining and on par with with the main quest. So I'm not necessarily saying don't play Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I'm saying do a, an appropriate amount of side content so that you can continue to play the main quest because that is where you're going to find most of the fun, most of the world building and the story moments of reveals and character progression and stuff like that the side content is there if i just want to listen to my podcasts and knock out a few quests it's perfect for that like it's got that side content feel where 
I want to do something else while I'm running from point A to point B. And I've appreciated that as well. But like when I'm sitting down, I'm like, man, I really want to get a little farther in Xenoblade and figure out what's going on. The side content is not it. It's not the place. Yeah. No. <laughs> but uh, having a great time with the main quest, I am, I think, probably heading towards the end of chapter six. I just did what felt like a pretty big boss battle. And I'm kind of sitting here. And I, I talked about this on the mini. I thought, oh, do I buy the expansion pass and take advantage of all the bonuses there and then just keep playing and then do uh, do the expansion that came out as well that's part of that expansion pass, uh, which is like a prequel story that gets alluded to a lot in the main campaign. So now I'm thinking of like putting money into the game. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. If you're enjoying it, then absolutely continue yeah. on with the, with the DLC. I think... I think uh, I think there's enough that's offered in the expansion pass where I like I feel like I want to take advantage of those extra resources and and then move into uh, the expansion as opposed to what probably most people did, which was beat the main game and then the DLC came out and then went just waited for the expansion. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of sitting here like mm, maybe I should drop forty dollars on this game that I'm you know back and interested in. So. Uh, Maybe it won't be that long a wait for us to talk about it again because I'll be playing <laughs> the, uh, the prequel <laughs> expansion. But uh, I don't know. It, well, it, yeah. I will do my best to uh, to get caught up then. I didn't realize you were like, I mean, I've been plugging away, but it's also been quite a busy week for me. So um, I've definitely fallen way further behind you than I realized, but uh, I'll try to get all caught up. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe we can talk about it sometime in the next two to four weeks i don't know but we'll we'll definitely have a, a final wrap-up thoughts once we finish the uh the storyline on xenoblade chronicles 2 and i'm looking forward to it. it should be fun yeah no it'll be a lot of fun it's a it's a great game and i'm sad that we we dropped it when it came out but uh, obviously there's a lot going on and it, it is a mm -hmm. complex game to to try to keep top of mind yeah it is a big big game for sure so if you guys enjoy the content that we produce, do head on over to patreon.com slash the gamers in. We are currently looking for our next featured patron. So if that would if you would like that to be you, then again, head on over to patreon.com slash the gamers in. That brings us to the news this week. Uh, OK, so, Ryan, you have been totally up on the news. I'm just going to let you run the show on the news <laughs> section this week and tell me what right. the heck is going on. <laughs> All right. Uh, how do you feel about PC gaming? Go. Thumbs up. Good. Next topic. <laughs> well, Microsoft feels the same way. They they really like PC gaming, and they kind of mapped out um, their journey in uh, sort of a roadmap for how they're approaching PC gaming in uh, 2021 and beyond. And sort of the core details to pull out of this, this news press release they put out was that, and we kind of already knew this, but Halo Infinite will be cross-play and cross-progression across PC and Xbox uh, they've talked about the multiplayer sort of being this free-to-play uh, version of Halo and the fact that you'll be able to jump from PC to Xbox whenever you want and kind of keep that account moving back and forth when you buy, like, uh, crates or whatever the loot box oh, man. equivalent honestly like this is so nice and i know um so obviously dead by daylight is my big cross-platform game because i had friends playing on xbox and friends playing on pc and so i had like and they announced uh cross-play and cross-progression was coming to dead by daylight but they they've still 
not actually implemented it for all platforms. I think right now, like you can cross play so I can now play on my PC with my console friends, but cross progression, they haven't been able to do the um, account merging because they've got this, like basically the only accounts they've been able to merge are like the Windows Store and Steam accounts. Like that's it. But any of the console stuff, they're just like, they're, they're saying that it's still coming, but it's like this whole, all these hurdles and stuff because like you, you've given money to one platform in one place and another platform in another place. And how do you smoosh all those things together? And like, I mean, I understand obviously this is all in Microsoft's bubble. So really it's all Microsoft money, regardless of if you spend it on the PC or Xbox. But man, there is something to be said about that seamless transition between the two. Like I really enjoyed it on uh, Sea of Thieves being able to just go from playing on my PC to playing over on my Xbox and it's no big deal either way. Like, oh, it's so nice. <laughs> I, like, I I hope that we're moving towards a world where these sort of questions, it's just like, instead of having, you know, my, my PlayStation DVD account and my Xbox DVD account, and my PC one, like I just have like a Dead by Daylight account or a Sea of Thieves account or a whatever the game is account so that I can just, you know, like play where I want to play when I want to play it. And obviously Xbox has the the leg up here because they are in the, they are the PC realm. <laughs> but uh, man, it just, it's so nice. It's such a nice feature. <laughs> yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, if you're looking to launch what is the Halo platform for the next decade, um, it makes sense to kind of, you know, start off the bat with, you know, on par with what Fortnite is offering, uh, you know, one of mm-hmm. the biggest free to play games, the biggest, I, I would say. And, you know, they also detailed that uh, the Microsoft store for PC games is going to bring revenue, uh, the net revenue uh, for developers uh, increased to 88% from 70%. So kind of in line with what Epic's been trying to get other companies to do. A lot of people have said like, well, this isn't that big a, a deal for Microsoft because I think the in a GDC sort of poll, it was like the Microsoft store was lumped in with other <laughs> uh, in terms of like all the offerings for, for yeah. where you would you know, place your <laughs> game as a storefront. But uh, they are committed to making um, changes and upgrades to uh, the Xbox app, which, you know, kind of runs like a house of cards. It's It feels like it's kind of smooshed together to just kind of almost work. So I think they're just trying to do a little bit more work there to kind of stabilize that app. And uh, it's just good to see sort of Microsoft coming out and saying like, no, we, we want to offer all our games as, as many platforms as possible. Steam, uh, Epic Game. I don't know if they're on the Epic Game Store, but um, they are giving gamers choice in terms of where they can buy their Microsoft games. And really they could, they could just make it exclusive to the Windows Store, but it's really nice that they have sort of expanded that over to Steam. And I know a lot of people like to uh, sort of keep their games in in one launcher so uh, they're they're offering offering that going for they have been offering that for a while so this mm-hmm. is good news i think for for pc gamers absolutely and another thing that's good news is mass effect legendary edition more news about that i'm i know i'm 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 trying ryan i'm trying so hard not to get too excited but it's like when I know that the content of those three games is really good, like the story's really good. They were super fun to play. Like I just, I can't help but get excited. And we have more Mass Effect news this week. Yeah. The uh, the day one patch is going to be like 14 gigabytes. And again, like 
Ryan, how is this news? Why are you wasting our time with this? And really, it was just like an excuse for us to talk about the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is coming out uh, on May 14th, which is also why I'm skeptical about Resident Evil Village, because I'm like, do I really have time for Village when a week later there's going to be like one of our favorite trilogies coming back in 4K 60 frames per second? I don't know. (laughs) I might just hold out and and play some Mass Effect, but uh, they kind of detailed like this big day one patch that is going to increase sort of the... uh, the the visual look and feel of the game a little bit more they've done a lot of work since uh sort of committing to um the launch version of the game to disc right. so this is this is like standard industry news of like day one patch is huge it's just it's almost mass effect time and i'm really excited <laughs> exactly and i figured this would be the perfect time to, to basically say like yeah if you thought the xenoblade chat was fun just wait until we get back into mass effect <laughs> I was gonna, okay, so so where where is your head at with Mass Effect? Like, I mean, I know we both said that we were gonna try and wait and see the reviews when it came out and stuff, but like, oh man, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to wait. I'm just like, I th- I think I'm just getting this day one, and I'm just that this is just happening. <laughs> okay, Jocelyn, do you have Game Pass right now? Yes. Okay. So you already have it. <laughs> Ryan, I have all of the things I know. all of the time. Like, why do you keep asking that? It's like you're subscription shaming me. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, it, like, I think I, I already made the, the HBO joke last week. But, um, <laughs> you know, so uh, this is my plan for Mass Effect. And I think that, that I would recommend this plan to, to, to everyone, really. So with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate... Or Xbox, I think it, yeah, I think it's Ultimate. You have access to EA Play, which gives you the 10-hour trial for the Mass Effect Legendary Edition when it launches. And that's my plan, is to basically, like, approach this as just, I'm going to try it out. And if it if it's a lot of fun and I find myself wanting to play through Mass Effect 1 again, like, past that 10-hour mark, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be picking it up on probably Xbox. Uh, because that's, that's, that's where I played the original trilogy, and I mean, I don't have any sort of like brand loyalty when it comes to a specific trilogy, but I I know I have access to this 10 hour trial and I think that's where I'm committing to start. Well, and that that 10 hour trial is really interesting, too, because it's also Mass Effect 1, right? So it's not like play 10 hours of whichever of the three you want. And I think Mass Effect 1 is where we're going to see like the biggest difference because it's the oldest game, right? So I think that that's a really good starting point to say like, hey, this game had some problems. This didn't have the greatest controls. Like the story was really cool. And obviously it kicked off this, this trilogy universe that is like one of our favorite games, but is it fun to play? (laughs) And I think, you know, when starting with mass effect one, I think is, is a really good kind of judge for you and I, where we can go, Hey, I know we loved these games. Maybe we loved these games in like 2010, but maybe not so much now, you know, all these years later, maybe they don't hold up. Maybe I don't need to spend a whole bunch of money. Maybe I can just think back fondly and not actually spend a lot of money on uh, the Legendary Edition. So I think it's uh, it's going to be a really good kind of barometer for you and I of like, are we actually going to spend the time to sit down and play back through these three games. I think so. I intend to. I would love to. But am I actually going to do it? That 10-hour demo is probably the best way for me to figure that out. (laughs) Yeah. 
I, I think that that is a solid approach. Like, like you said, the majority of the work is has been done to Mass Effect One because it is the 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 oldest of the trilogy and had a lot of issues. And um, mm-hmm. they said they've addressed they've tried to address as many as they can. And I think that uh, uh, you know they haven't done specific next gen sort of uh, like PS Five and Xbox Series X sort of specific um enhancements uh, they do take advantage of the fast loading and and whatnot but uh technically they are targeting you know 4k 60 frames per second on the playstation pro pc and xbox one x but mm-hmm. the series x and ps5 will will have small advantages in terms of load speeds and stuff and they have i think they got on record saying like they're focusing on the ps4 pro and the xbox one x um they have nothing to announce when it comes to the next gen versions. They might not even do like a an official PS5 and Xbox Series X version, but uh, definitely you do see some enhancements there. But not what you would have seen if they were developing specifically for that those platforms. Um, so that's kind of why I'm also leaning like I'll play it on X on my Xbox One X, and I'll probably see a similar sort of experience to you playing on your Series X or or your PC for that matter. So, um, yeah, and I think 10 hours is, is enough to give me a taste. I think I'll definitely, I'll be, I'll be picking it up on console for sure, because, um, again, it, it's very much like the nostalgia factor because I played it on the Xbox back in the day. There's, there's some of that, but also it's just like, again, especially with like working from home right now and everything else, like same with like all of the, the schooling that I'm doing right now, all of that is virtual. So just like I spend a lot of time downstairs in my office, which I love my office, but just getting back upstairs and playing on the couch, like there's something to be said for that change of scenery and change of even like focal length on my eyes. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I'll I'll be picking it up on console as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's the way to play it. I, I never played on PC but I played a lot with the Xbox controller and uh, it, it just sounds like it, it also sounds like the PC versions of the original versions of the game were not, you know, they weren't well optimized, but it sounds like they're really looking to create sort of a sort of a, a uniform experience across all platforms here, which is really nice to see. And uh, yeah, I, I, on, I cannot wait to jump back into Mass Effect 1. That is that is the game I remember the least, but I also remember like getting a used copy, you know, what I, Mass Effect 2 is, I think, coming maybe a month or, or two later, and I'm like, I have to play this game in order to understand Mass Effect 2. And uh, yeah, I just remember like playing it constantly and like just looking forward to that next conversation with all my, you know, my crew and stuff. And it, it was, it was just so well done. And I can't wait for the, to go back to driving the Mako, especially if the Mako is good now. So that sounds like a bonus. Cross your finger. Like that's the, that's like the elephant in the room, right? <laughs> is how is that thing going to drive? <laughs> that is my big like legendary edition question. They said it's they like fixed the, it. The, the the future of all three of these games depends <laughs> on how well that thing handles. <laughs> yeah. It just so happens that the Mako level starts at hour 11, so Mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> i don't think it was quite that far in i no. felt like it was probably like three or four hours in when they first threw you into that thing and and if i remember correctly there was some sort of like 
It was like a not not a race, but like a timed run, like something was going to explode behind Ugh. you or something. And you had these terrible controls and you'd never done it before. And you had to outrun something. And it was just this like perfect storm of terrible. And I was like, why would you make this? Why? <laughs> and especially when I had already played all the way through Mass Effect 2. So I played two before I played one. And uh, yeah, going back to one at that point was just bad. So I'm glad again, like this was one of our big question marks when this was first announced is like, how much are they actually going to change these things? And it seems like they have not just like updated textures like um, Amalur did, but they've very much gone in and, you know, like given us new visuals, new UI, new controls, like really put some effort into the franchise. So yeah, I'm I'm crossing my fingers and obviously we'll have some thoughts about Mass Effect when that comes out in a couple of weeks. I'm stoked. I'm also pretty stoked about PlayStation and their partnership with Discord because one of the big sticking points with playing with my friends who play on console when we do have games that have cross-play and cross, uh, sorry, cross-play, not necessarily cross-progression, but cross-play is trying to figure out how to do voice chat with them. <laughs> so I'm like really excited because i think microsoft tried to buy discord um uh, not not that long ago and the deal fell through which is awesome because then that kind of leaves discord kind of open to be a free agent and create partnerships as opposed to like being owned by somebody because like i mean i have all my own issues with discord and i you know that i definitely feel that maybe they grew a little bit too big too quickly and some of their their server issues aren't that great and there's like there's just discord has some issues but i think at least they're kind of the standard now right for um gaming communication and voice chat and uh, so I think that this is this is a really interesting partnership from from that perspective, because it seems like if we can integrate discord into consoles, then we have a place that we can all go sit and chat without having to like, I mean, right now I have a, my a friend of mine, well, Dustin, who one of the, the co-hosts that filled in for me while I was away, he's one of my friends I play uh, Dead by Daylight with. He plays on console. I play on PC and he literally sits there with discord on his phone well and like playing dead by daylight and talking to me on his phone like it's awkward yeah. <laughs> there's, there's got to be a better way and it seems like uh playstation is down to find out if discord is that better way so i i'm looking forward to seeing what this actually looks like when it's implemented on the platform yeah i mean specifically what i want to see is i just i i really want i don't need and no offense gamers in discord i don't need the gamers in chat on my PlayStation. Yeah, I don't need the text necessarily. No. Um, I mean, it might be a cool perk to be able to like keep up with the conversations. Like it, it would be interesting to see if they are going to like explore UI stuff where like I wouldn't mind having my, especially now that we're getting like such high resolution, such big screens and stuff. I wouldn't mind having like a column showing me like my Discord chats or whatever. Like, because oh, I mean, some of you guys are prolific and like so my discords fly by like a Twitch chat room. And so I wouldn't mind necessarily like having something open where I could kind of follow along with the conversation and have my game on the same screen. Like that would be kind of cool, but it's definitely not required. What I really want out of this partnership is a way to talk to my friends like voice chat while we're playing games. Like that's all I need. <laughs> I don't need all the extra bells and whistles, but it could be cool. Yeah, I, I think that 
I, I, I want them to prioritize, you know, basically solving the the issue you talked about where you have folks playing on PC, you have folks playing on console, and then being able to just, oh, we can, t- we can chat on Discord and it's just, it just works from the PlayStation and you don't have to worry about, usually what I'll do is I'm, uh, we play, uh, we played the, the Mario game that came out in February and we were on Discord and I would have like a, an ear, you know, an earbud in on one side and then trying to listen oh, to the game on the 3D other side. Oh, 3D World? Yeah, 3D World. I and, was like, the Mario game, the Mario game, Mario Party? No, that was years ago. What Mario February game do we like play together? Ago. Yeah. Oh my God, it really does. <laughs> and it worked, but it's not something I would want to do for, say, the entirety of that Mario game, you know, um, but if you have it integrated into the system and it's really easy to just jump into a chat, you know, I think that's that's what I want to see on PlayStation. I also, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit, I, I don't want PlayStation and Discord to be exclusive. And I think that's where mm-hmm. Microsoft buying Discord is interesting. I wouldn't necessarily worry about Microsoft not wanting to put Discord on PlayStation. I'd worry about PlayStation wanting discord on their system since it's owned by microsoft and i know there are some Mm. examples where microsoft stuff is on the playstation and vice versa but there's just a lot about playstation that they just they really don't want to be connected to xbox they are competitors and that's how they see it but discord being a free agent and working with playstation first i think we see microsoft getting a cut of this as well at some point like i think that the fact that you're talking about, you know, the quote from from PlayStation, like empowering players to create communities, enjoy shared gaming experiences is at the heart of what we do. And that includes, you know, uh, and the, the whole point of Discord is to have it on as many platforms as possible. If they aren't able to get this on the Xbox as well, that is a big miss for me and, and more of a less of a, you know, a, a, a me being upset with PlayStation, more being upset with Discord, because I know they've made some really weird, you know, anti sort of their own policy decisions, where if they said like, well, we're going to, we're going to be, we're, we're walking away from Microsoft, a Microsoft buyout, but we're going to partner with PlayStation. And I, I hope that still means that Xbox players get the same integration, maybe not at the same time, for sure. Microsoft or Sony is putting forward money to to have this happen. Yeah. But I don't want to see this be, well, you know, we have an exclusive deal and, and PlayStation is notorious for inking these deals of like exclusivity windows. And I just want, I want everybody to be able to just be able to play, you know, together, no matter what platform they're on. And I, I know we're getting there. And well, that's, I just... that's what we're missing, right? Like, that's what Discord provides, mm-hmm. except for it's not on all of the platforms, but it's not tied to any one, um, like, video game creator. And that's really what we need, is just some way, now that all of these cross-play options are are coming available, we need a way to, to talk to each other. Um, that's one of the big things about playing multiplayer games is is voice chat and and it's almost a requirement at this point for I mean to the point that like developers are like balancing a game around the ability to talk to each other. So if we don't have that in these crossplay situations, then anyone who is playing crossplay is going to be at a disadvantage. So I mean I think that um, 
it's a, it's a good first step and and hopefully it'll maybe like let them iron out the kinks or whatever but i i feel like discord um i'm or at least i'm hoping that they are smart enough to to kind of keep themselves out of any sort of exclusivity um deal just because like again it's it's working against what discord should want as a platform they should want to be everywhere right they should want to be the voice of gaming for lack of a better slogan <laughs> so um yeah i i hope to see them on on more platforms and i hope this is like a good step forward into the console space to kind of get microsoft and nintendo to be like oh hey uh, why don't we try to get Discord over here and uh, and see how that goes instead of like Microsoft's original approach of a buyout? So I don't know. I'm uh, yeah, keeping my fingers crossed that this is a good thing and not just a PlayStation thing. Although I mean, I'll be on that platform eventually, but still. Um, and then okay, so our last story today is. I'll, I'll admit I have not read up on this and I'm like, I'm I'm honestly dreading talking about it because guys, we're going to talk about the Apple versus Epic trial and or Apple, uh, Apple. <laughs> no, no, they, they've, they've joined forces. <laughs> They're they, very separate. <laughs> they got over their differences pretty quick. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Uh, so nice. Epic versus Apple, <laughs> their trial is ongoing and, uh, I mean, this is this is the kind of story that just is so technical. I mean, even when we first started covering it and, you know, like who was forcing who to do what and who was suing who for who and, you know, who is actually in it for the gamer. Spoiler alert, neither of them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like it, it's very it is very technical. So, Ryan, I'm hoping because, OK, earlier on tonight when I tried to look at these stories, I was getting like weird security errors when I tried oh, yeah. to go to Polygon. So, like, I don't even I haven't even read the Polygon stuff because they're I don't know getting hacked right now or something who knows but um can you out. fill me in on what's going on or you know like how much of this should i just skip <laughs> well here's the thing um the epic versus apple trial is gonna go for quite a while uh it took yes. them two days to get through uh tim sweeney's uh sort of uh I don't watch enough lawyer shows, but basically opening arguments. <laughs> yeah. Well, the opening arguments, you know, went pretty quick, but I think just the first witness was Tim Sweeney and, and he was being interviewed and cross-examined from Apple and Epic and all that. And, but just really what's happening now, it, the interesting stuff to come out of this, because we could talk, we could, we're going to be able to do an update every week of what's going on. But the real interesting stuff right now is not necessarily what they're saying in court, but some of the documents that uh, were supposed to be sealed or may not have been sealed in time were released publicly. Um, and essentially the judge was like, whoops, yeah, we probably should have made them secret, but it's too late now. Too late now! <laughs> it's essentially what was said. It was, it was quite like, well, the genie's out of the bottle now. Like they, And there's like some funnier stories where... You know, it's all being broadcast over a, a, a live sort of audio feed and they didn't mute sort of the non-participants and people were like calling in and being like, free Fortnite and, and just saying really vulgar stuff. And they, they, oh quick, they quickly fixed that. I mean, gaming, right? It's uh, yeah. <laughs> takes all kinds of folks. The last thing you want to give gamers is a public chat. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's a lot to this trial and we'll we'll check in on it every week but the the key takeaways were some of these um sealed documents and we talked about PlayStation one of the biggest ones was that 
epic boss uh you know tim sweeney had confirmed that sony is the only platform holder that charges publishers a cross-play fee in certain circumstances there's like some weird formulas there where you know based on player engagement and how much people are spending and you know how much they engage on playstation versus other platforms and but it basically requires a company to do that sort of reporting to Sony and then if the numbers check out they have to cut a check to Sony if the crossplay is not working in Sony's favor and <laughs> you know honestly like the more stuff i hear about Sony the more it's just like they just don't play well with others they're like i'm taking my ball and i'm going home <laughs> yeah <laughs> too many of you are playing on the microsoft side of the field and i don't like it <laughs> like it, it's come really... on Sony <laughs> let everybody play soccer come on yeah, it's it, well. In this case, one of those games was uh, car soccer. It was Rocket League, right? Which went cross-platform <laughs> shortly after yeah. Fortnite. And uh, so, basically, this is how it works out: if the proportion of PSN revenue share divided by PS4 gameplay share for a title is less than 0.85 in any given month, the partner will pay Sony a royalty to offset the reduction in revenue. So that is like ripped right from their, you know. Uh, highly confidential do not share document that was <laughs> most likely shared um, in a mistake by uh, this this sort of thing. But I, the, the whole story that we'll link in the notes is really interesting because it kind of goes over, there's some really weirdness about like seeing corporate emails and you kind of like picture like a corporate email as being like super, see you at the meeting at one o'clock, I will bring coffee and also my agenda, <laughs> you know? And uh <laughs> Your robot office voice is great. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you bring your agenda. Um, but, you know, they're very, well, they're human beings and they're conversing about a thing. And like Epic is basically saying like, look, we got Microsoft on board. We can make Sony look like heroes by opening up Fortnite. You remember that whole thing when that went down, mm -hmm. like Sony was painted as a villain. They, you know, Epic turned it on by accident and Sony shut it down pretty quick. They seem to do a lot of like flipping switches by accident, which is a big part of this trial. Um, but there's just a lot to sort of go through here. And it's really interesting to see how crossplay happened. And it really was Epic pushing the buttons of the number one platform holder when it comes to video games, which was, which, which was the PlayStation four and it's still PlayStation at, at this time, you know, mm -hmm. and in terms of a closed, you know, format, I know the PC is, is a big, know platform holder yes, but it's yeah, open yeah but yeah they don't have these issues so it's um it's really interesting and there will be continuing to be like little tidbits that pop out that's been like sort of the biggest shocker uh when it comes to you know we talk about sort of the secrecy of the video game industry and something like a deal like this coming out in another industry wouldn't necessarily be such a big deal you hear about it in the movie industry all the time it's like yeah we we cut a deal with this director and this theater chain to make sure like this specific movie does these specific things. And that's all like really public, you know, and you learn about projects even before the, the, the script is written, right? We don't have that in video games. It's, it's usually kept as secret as possible right up until the game is coming out, which is different from a lot of other entertainment uh, industries. But uh, I, I feel we're going to get a lot from this trial. Um, some other little tidbits, like we found out like how much Epic has paid for all the free games they've been giving away. Uh, my biggest complaint was like, where's Metroid? 
Where's Samus in Fortnite? You know, they're doing bounty hunters. Why aren't they, why don't, why is Samus not here? And I guess they plan for a Metroid crossover. It hasn't happened yet, but it, of course, that's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think, well, we got Sony, we got Xbox, we need Nintendo. They have a bounty hunter. Let's do this thing. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it makes sense that they plan for it. It's not necessarily like happening, but it's, there's a lot of these sort of, <laughs> there is a, and again, if you're on games, Twitter, you're seeing all these stories. And I think the funniest thing I saw was, um, and, and Tim Sweeney's like sending these emails all the time of like, you should really do this because it'd be really great. And like, honestly, you can't run a closed system for very long. And this is like an email to Apple. And the reply that Tim Cook uh, has to his uh, to uh, his other, um, I can't remember their names, but the other high-end uh, sort of executives is basically like, was this that guy that was at our rehearsal or is this somebody else? Like, who is this person emailing me? <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's really interesting to... Obviously, none of this, when people wrote those emails and stuff, like no one ever imagined that they'd be part of like a like a trial or something. But um, I don't know, man, that's kind of like corporate life 101. That was like the first thing I was told on my first day of work <laughs> is remember, everything you write down can be like freedom of information. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that is very true. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of, yeah, in a corporate situation, like, yeah, it, a lot of these emails come to light because of these trials, because like they said, well, we want evidence to show any email from Tim Cook that mentioned uh, Tim Sweeney, you know, any yeah. correspondence. <laughs> and like, oh, great. I said, I, who's that guy, that guy. Yeah. And, <laughs> I do, uh, I, who's, t- who's that him? <laughs> exactly. And of course, in the moment, it's like, of course, how is Tim Cook going to know who this person is? But, uh, you know, moving forward, it is, uh, it, it's just it's really wild to see. And, you know, if I don't recommend, like they have all the audio that you can listen to live, it's really dry. You know, they're setting up a baseline. It's all this like courtroom type stuff. It's not like the TV shows. Has the, it's not, has the reporting been half decent. Like, I mean, can I just read the stories and they're, I think I, I definitely recommend reading sort of the, the, the headlines and the stories that come out. I wouldn't necessarily pay too close attention to like the live tweets because half of it is interesting tidbits. Other half of it is like making fun of the very uh, baseline questions that they're asking. Mm, you know, snarky witnesses. Twitter is snarky. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, they just asked Tim Sweeney what a console is. And it's like, well, they're going places with this. But to to us. Well, yeah. You know, and I mean, I it's also it's the kind of thing where you're literally in a legal battle every definition matters mm-hmm. like these are going on record you need to even if everyone knows what a console is like you have to get it written down because you're in the realm of legal precedent like you can't take anything for granted so stop being so snarky twitter god damn it yeah <laughs> come on <laughs> but but the big news coming out of it has been really interesting and i and i think that uh for the most part um publications have been really good about just kind of covering the the high-end stuff that's coming out of it I don't think there's going to be really any sort of, I don't, I don't think there's going to be any like big, you know, dun dun, like law and order moments. You know, I think it's just, it's going to conclude (laughs) they're going to, they're basically going to favor in one side or the other. Someone's going to appeal. We're going to be doing this for at least another year. Yeah, this is going to be a long, long time (laughs) for sure. Yeah. So So get, strap in, get used to it. It's going to be here a while. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I think that there's going to be a lot of informa- interesting information that's going to come out of this. So um, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm looking forward to it again, not in, down in the nitty gritty because there's a lot of stuff that's like way over my head and also super boring. But uh, still, I'm I am looking forward to seeing how all of this plays out. So um, like Ryan said, we will bring you guys some updates of, again, the kind of like high level overarching interesting pieces but uh, yeah we'll be doing that probably for the next year so get ready but uh, that is going to do it for us tonight if you want to join in the conversation you can head on over to bit.ly slash tgi discord to join our discord community or if you'd like to email your thoughts you can do so by emailing the show at info at gamersandpodcast.com you can also follow us on twitter you can find me jocelyn at joss plays ryan is at r murphy and don't forget to follow the show at the gamers in thanks for staying at the gamers in remember tune in next week Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.